right. Well, good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. If you did miss the Bay Area Family Gathering, we're just excited to share that <clears throat> that news with you. Uh, the partnership between Clear Creek Community Church thus far has been uh, incredible. We're excited about that, all the work that's already been done behind the scenes. And we already do have a location. We already do have a center director. We already do have a lease that we are uh, beginning to pay for and uh, all of those kinds of things. And so uh, it is it is coming to fruition very quickly. We're excited about it. It's different than Living Water. Living Water Counseling Center here on our campus is a biblical counseling ministry run by lay people that are highly trained. This will be a community-facing counseling center off of our campus that will be focused on partnerships with things like businesses, Clear Creek ISD and other entities, families, people, churches, uh, just to offer uh, what people need to meet them at their point of need and then bring them to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so excited about that. What does that mean for us? Bottom line is, it means that we have some money to raise. So uh, everybody was like, yeah, but how much is this going to cost? Let me tell you, how much is this going to cost? Uh, each church is contributing $500,000 over five years. So it's a million-dollar commitment between the two. Uh, we have 200000 the first year and then 100000 each uh, year after that. And so currently we have collected $140,713. We have that in hand, which is awesome. So everybody just say praise the Lord for that we have uh commitments in 2022 to be paid in 2022 for another hundred and forty thousand dollars which brings our total for 2022 at this moment to two hundred and eighty thousand seven hundred and thirteen dollars so that's just two hundred and twenty thousand dollars away from our five hundred thousand dollar goal i'd like to personally knock this out in 2022 because it gets harder to raise money as things go on and who knows what will happen in the world good grief right so uh so if you are able and can contribute above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings you can give online you just go to our website and collect and connect to the counseling center it's right in front and you can give through the ministry of bay area church and we'll get it to the right place and when we hit the five hundred thousand dollar mark we'll say stop and uh and that'll be that'll be it so i'm really really grateful really excited about what god's doing and thank you all for uh how you support and give it's going to be a big deal for our our city and we're excited about that all right we're in matthew chapter 16 today matthew 16 13 to 18 <clears throat> we're actually going to be in a bunch of different uh scriptures but we'll start there We've been in a series called Saturation. This is the last Sunday of this series, and we're going to talk about church. So we talked about kingdom the first week. We talked about disciple the second week, society and domain engagement last week. And today we're going to talk about uh, church. Uh, Beginning next week, we're going to start a series in the book of Jonah. So if you want to get reading ahead sort of uh, this week, just start reading the book of Jonah. We'll do Jonah 1 next week. Would you stand with me? And we will read Matthew 16, 13 to 18. <clears throat> 
Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Could be seated. We say all the time that it's our vision to saturate the Forby area with the gospel by restoring people, families, and churches. Forby area is that geography between the Beltway and the beach and the Bay to Brazoria County. Almost 600,000 people live in there. Saturation for us would mean everybody living in the Forby area is connected to someone relationally who knows Jesus, walks with Jesus, and will share the gospel with them and disciple them if they're open to it. All right? So everybody connected to someone who walks with Jesus. That would be saturation. We focused on the the, the simple fact that if we're going to see saturation happen, it will have to be not because we're trying to build a church or a brand, but because we're all about the kingdom in the 4B area. We said that it's really important that we become disciples who hear and obey and multiply ourselves. We make other disciples who hear and obey. We said, you know what? We'll never saturate the 4B area with the gospel if we don't understand what our domains are, where we are every day working and living, and how to impact that domain with the gospel. And Gabe Maracoima, uh team taught with me last week. We talked about society and the importance of being the church and society. Today we're just gonna we are going to talk about the church in this sense. Not that it's least important, but it's wrapped in the kingdom. It starts in the kingdom, it ends in the kingdom, and church is what we're doing today. Now, let's talk about what church is biblically. And to do that, I want to start with this passage of scripture that we just read, Matthew 16, 13 to 18. There was a day that Jesus decided for whatever reason on that particular day, Jesus decided I'm going to take the disciples. We're going to go to Caesarea Philippi. That's what the text tells us in Matthew chapter 16. Caesarea Philippi, if you're a disciple that grew up on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, Let me just paint a picture for who that is. That is a very religious Jew because of where they lived. They're very simple. They have not been very worldly at all. And in the case of Jesus's disciples, they're already embracing trades and and they're just kind of young in the beginning of their they're adulting in the world. And uh, Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. And somewhere along the way, toward the end of their, their time together, Jesus decides, I'm going to take you to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is in northern Israel. And Caesarea Philippi is a, a, a terrible place. It's It's... What everybody might have have thought of as a really great place, 
but it was actually a really, really terrible place. Caesarea Philippi is at the base of Mount Hermon in the north. And most of the country of Israel is is desert-like. But when you get to Caesarea Philippi, there is water pouring off the mountain. Springs bubbling up, water coming out of caves, waterfalls like the Banias Falls that are incredible to see. And if you're a desert people, particularly if you're a Roman soldier and you need a little R&R, the place you're going to go is Caesarea Philippi. It is uh, utterly pagan. Let me show you a picture, a little bit of a, give you an idea. So... You see all that water, right? This is, uh, this is in the spring, so there's green everywhere. That cave, so there is, a, there is a complete pantheon of gods located in Caesarea Philippi. That cave is considered to be the gates of Hades or the, the entrance of the underworld. And in front of it would have been a temple to Augustus, Augustus Caesar. Beside that, temple to Zeus. Next to that, uh, worship for these, these, these little gods like Pan and Echo. There was a, a goat court where goats were used in uh, worship for Pan and Echo in terrible Ways there, if you're if you if you put your mind in in the mind of a Roman soldier and you got R and R, you're gonna go there. You're gonna enjoy the water. You're gonna enjoy the pagan worship and the entertainment. You're gonna enjoy all the sin and debauchery that comes along with everything that is at Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you're Peter, James, John, and Jesus says. Come, let's go. And you don't know where you're going, but you know you're going north. And the closer you get to this thing, you start asking yourself the question, are we going to Caesarea Philippi? They've heard about that, but not been. This is one of those places like, are we going to tell mom that we actually went to Caesarea Philippi? And when they get there, they have to see things that they have never seen in their life. And they have to be around things and people that they would never have chosen to be around in their life. And that's where we get the context of this particular passage of scripture. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked this question. Who do people say that the son of man is and peter answered it you are the christ the son of the living god jesus answered and blessed are you simon barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who's in heaven verse 18 and i tell you you are peter that word is cephas peter means rock on this rock i will build my church the gates of hell shall not prevail against it being a rabbinic being a rabbi Jesus is saying two things at once. He is saying to Peter, on this rock of your testimony, the truth of this testimony, I'm going to build my church. But if you look at the passage of scripture, it says, and I tell you, you're a Peter, and on this rock, that that rock with the cave in it that I showed you is called the rock of the gods. So why does a rabbi take disciples all the way up to Caesarea Philippi, to the rock of the gods, to ask this question? In front of all the other gods, who do, who, who do you say that I am? I mean, there's a temple to Caesar Augustus there. You know who Caesar Augustus is, right? The son of God. He walks him all the way up there and he's like, 
in, in front of this great te- temple and all these people, you know, who do you, who do you say that I am? You're the son of the living God. Well, it's on that testimony. I will build my church, but also on this debauchery, on this, this rock of the gods, the gates, it says, it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against, against it. That, that, that cave is the gates of hell. It's called the gates of Hades. So he's saying, I'm going to build my church in the face of all of the opposition on the testimony that you just gave, that I am the son of the living God. Here's the first thing we need to know. Jesus, the church is built by Jesus. The church is built by Jesus. It's really important to get your head around and understand because sometimes people, I've had kids ask me before, Pastor Brian, do you own this church? (laughs) No, definitely not. Definitely not. I'm passing through. This church is 130 something. I was asking Mike because he's at least 130. <laughs> 130 something years old, right? It's, it's an old church. There's been a lot of pastors here. No person in here owns this church. Jesus builds the church. This is his church. Every church, every local expression of the body of Jesus Christ is his church. He is the one that builds the church and he will build it in the face of hell on the apostles teaching. And it says in the scripture that he is the chief cornerstone. So Ephesians chapter two, verse 20, Paul said that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone or being the cornerstone. He's the most important stone. He sets the tone for the expansion of the church. He is the foundation piece and and all of it's built on the apostles teaching this very word that we have here. The church biblically is built by Jesus, which means it will not fail. It will not fail fail that's really important to understand because when people think the culture is going so uh, is being tossed to and fro and going so far away from what the church is and and you see things like the the if you read the reports of the church in the united states is it growing is it shrinking does it have more baptisms does it have less baptisms you'll read the statistics and you'll say the church in the united states is shrinking and there's less baptisms in the united states than there, than there used to be and the people of the united states are way different than they used to be when it comes to how they attend church and all those things and you might come to the conclusion that this thing is going to peter out but what jesus said was you like that pun right there didn't you on this rock peter i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it so it will not fail and that's the good news for the church of Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand is that it's built on Jesus. When you try to build the church on anything else, a personality, a philosophy, anything else, than just allowing it to be built by Jesus on the, the, the teaching of the apostles with him being the cornerstone, uh, it, 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 it is not the church of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, 
the book of Acts is really interesting because the book of Acts starts with the king and the kingdom and ends with the king and the kingdom. But everything in between is all about the expansion of the church. So just listen to this passage out of Acts chapter 1, 1 to 3. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. That's when he ascended to, to the right hand of the Father. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about, guess what? The kingdom of God. It's not like Jesus was going around going, have you heard about my brother James? He's starting this new church in Jerusalem. It's called the Jerusalem church. You should go. They're going to have pizza. No, it was come, you're invited to the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. He was inviting everyone to something so much bigger than any one particular church. Acts 28, 23, it tells us how the book of Acts ends. It says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging. This is speaking of the apostle Paul in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is Paul's preaching. So Paul isn't like, Hey, I started a new church right here. I'd love for you to come. We're going to have pizza. No, he invited them and testified to the kingdom of God and to Jesus, the king. So the book of Acts starts with the kingdom of God. It ends with the kingdom of God. But everything in the middle is all about the ever-expanding church of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it is continued from the first century till now expanding, growing, changing, maturing. This is the church. It will not fail. And it shows us that the church begins and ends with the kingdom of God. If that's true, then there's just uh, some simple things we need to understand. First of all, in a place like the Forby area, there are a lot of churches. We're in competition with no church of Jesus Christ. We want every church of Jesus Christ to flourish because when the churches of Jesus flourish, the kingdom flourishes and saturation can happen. So we build partnerships, kingdom partnerships, because we're about the kingdom first. But we care also a lot about this church, this church that's local to us called Bay Area Church. Now, here's the second thing that I I want you to, to grab onto today biblically. Not only is the church built by Jesus, but the church is both global and local. It's both global and local, right? Let me just do a little exercise. Anybody originally from a different country in the room? Raise your hand. You're not from the United States originally. Come on, be loud, be proud. All right, good. You uh, have churches in your countries of origin, do you not? They're not just in Texas. They're all over the world. This church all over the world is powerful because the Holy Spirit is powerful because Jesus is on the move all over the world. Did you know that? The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran and China right now. It's amazing. 
Maybe the most oppressed places in the world, also the fastest growing church in the world. It is global. The Church of Jesus Christ speaks a bunch of different languages, has lots of different cultures. And because it is global, it has unique expressions in its culture and its context. Look, you don't even have to be global to have unique expressions in your, in your culture and context. I was at a church for seven years, uh, Kingsland Baptist Church in Katy, Texas, on the west side of town. That is the, uh, the I-10 corridor, right? The energy corridor. So all those guys are like oil energy dudes and their families, right? They have a particular culture, a particular way. You come here, it's, it's radically different, honestly. Radically different. Uh, when you come here, it's like there's astronauts. I, uh, somebody asked me to explain like, okay, what is, your, what is League City, Texas like? And I was like, the best way I can describe it is like you take astronauts and Duck Dynasty and you mesh them together like this, and that's what you get. It's League City, Texas. We love it down there, right? It's just a different culture. Different place. You know, the culture on the, on, the, on the east side of the freeway is different than the culture on the west side of the freeway. You know, the Pearland is way different than uh, Kima. You know, and Friendswood is even different than League City. And Santa Fe is different than uh, Galveston. You know, every culture is different, right? In each little place pocket. So churches, they're local and they're global and they have unique expressions and culture and context. Uh, the thing is, though, doesn't matter where they are globally, their unique expressions are beautiful. Their cultures and contexts are beautiful. But to be a church of Jesus, it's aligned in mission and message. Aligned in mission and message, which means that it is focused on King Jesus and his mission. It doesn't matter where you go. You could be in Lebanon, you could be in Iran, you could be in Houston, anywhere you go. The church of Jesus Christ focused on Jesus, focused on his mission. It's aligned in mission and message. This is the carrying of the gospel of the king and his kingdom to the world, to our local context and to the world. You know, there isn't just one way to do church. Did you know that? Like this isn't just the right way to do church. I mean, you could go to different churches today all over the Forbier and there would be different kinds of music. There would be different traditions and all those kinds of things. But if it's a church of Jesus Christ, it should be focused on King Jesus. The, 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 the walk away, take away should be Jesus is awesome pretty much every Sunday. Focus on King Jesus and aligned with his message and mission. All the other stuff is periphery in in some ways. This is important for us to to get our mind around. Do you know that in the earliest church, they had these kinds of questions about, is there one way to do church or not? There was a council in Acts chapter 15 called the Jerusalem Council. And they had some questions because foreigners were coming to Jesus, people who weren't Jews. We're coming to Jesus. And, and so one of the big questions was, do these Gentiles who are coming to Jesus have to be circumcised to be members of the church? That's not going to be good for church growth. And I think that's what they were, what they were thinking. Like, no. No, it was a legitimate question because it was, such, it was such an important component of covenant theology in the Old Testament. 
It was the sign. It was the symbol. And so they asked themselves this question. Acts chapter 15, verse 3 to 5, it says, Being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And Paul was like, is it? That's a good question. Is it? Do they have to keep all 613 commands? What do they have to do? Acts chapter 15, verse 10 and 11 Paul says, now, therefore, uh, why why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor uh, we have been able to bear? Why are we going to ask them to do something we can't do? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And what the Jerusalem council decided is, look, they need to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, love their neighbor as themselves, abstain from uh, meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat that stuff, and sexual immorality, stay away from that. Otherwise, go love Jesus out there and your culture and context, Titus and Timothy, you Romans, you know? So it's important for us to get, like, there isn't one way necessarily to do church. Doctrine is important. Dogma is important when it comes to doctrine in certain circumstances. But we have to get that the church is local and is global. There's a church that we actually go to. We send teams to in Lebanon. The first time we walked in there, or maybe it wasn't the first time, but one of the times we walked in there, I remember walking in and I thought, this is a mosque. It wasn't a mosque, it was a church, just everybody was Muslim, now worshiping Jesus. It just looked like a mosque. It's a unique expression. They're still wearing their head coverings. They probably were in the mosque on Friday. Now they're in church on Sunday. Interesting, huh? So there is a unique Understanding that the message of Jesus and the kingdom is paramount and that each church, it's churches are, it's global. It's, it's all across the board. It's unique in culture and context is localized even in what we experience uh, here. And there are all kinds of different uh, issues and things that each church deals with. And they must deal with those things according to the scripture at the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the third thing that we have to kind of get about the church. The church is a gathered community of disciples. Church is a gathered community of disciples. So we said, hey, we need to focus on the kingdom. Disciples are people that hear and obey. So the gathering of the church is actually this word ecclesia. It means the gathering. It's the coming together of disciples of Jesus. So it is for, anybody can come, but it's, it's for the disciples of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 to 25, it says, Let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Apparently the writers of the scripture thought the church, the disciples gathering is really important, really important on a weekly basis. In fact, they they did it on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the the grave to commemorate that every week. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us about four things that we should hold on to as the gathered community of disciples. The first, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope is that we've been saved uh, by faith uh, through, through grace, that Jesus has done what he said he would do, that he, he died on a cross to save us from our sins, that he rose again from the dead, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that he's coming back again. And that because of that, we placed our trust in him for salvation. That is the the confession of our hope. And we need to hold on to it without wavering. I want to address the issue for just a moment of deconstruction. How many of you have heard of deconstruction? Anybody? When it comes to deconstructing the faith. So there is a movement, particularly in the West, uh, around the idea of deconstructing the faith. And deconstruction, I'm just going to use John Piper's definition because I think it's a good one. It's a critical dismantling of what a person's understanding, uh, a critical dismantling of a person's understanding of what it means to be Christian. And that's pretty rampant right now in our particular countries, particularly for a number of reasons. People deconstruct for all kinds of reasons, but in this last little episode, the reason people are deconstructing now, there's this idea that they maybe maybe everything we believed wasn't true. They, they, they're basing this idea that they need to dismantle their faith, what they grew up with. They're basing this idea on what they've seen experientially, Leaders that fall, that do bad things, that once were celebrated pastors that now are out of the ministry completely, that kind of thing. Uh, How the church has engaged in politics has been a big driver. Like, I don't like how the church did this or did that about this particular political issue or that pundit or whatever and they look they look at that and they think maybe maybe the church isn't for me altogether or maybe it's just a an experience an abuse experience uh something that that has caused people uh to say hey i'm going to take a look at this thing again and and maybe maybe the desired outcome is that i walk away from church altogether uh Deconstruction is uh, a fad, in my opinion, to some degree, in that uh, a lot of people, some people have reasons to deconstruct. Other people are just like jumping on board the deconstruction wagon to say, hey, I'm going to dismantle my faith too. It sounds cool. Uh, because I don't like how the church, you know, deals with the abortion issue or the gender issue or, you know, whatever you pick one. And so what we need to understand about that is a couple of things. First of all, it is a okay to question 
a-okay to question. You can ask any question of the scriptures, ask any question of God, ask any question of me or any of our other pastors or elders or any of those people, your life group leader. If I don't know, I'm going to say, I don't know. Not exactly sure. Let me look into that. But it is good to question. In fact, I think some of uh, most of us that grow up in church at one time or another, we have to go through some what of a deconstruction to own our own faith because it was our, our parents to begin with. But as we begin to pull away and step away, we have to decide, okay, what of this do I really believe and what's going to come out of my hands and my feet? What, are, what am I going to live out here? Right? And as parents, we're all hoping that as our kids make that transition, that they latch on to Jesus, right? But, but I think questioning is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. We get to ask a lot of questions. Um, the thing is, according to Hebrews, you can question anything. Look hard at the resurrection, the crucifixion, all that kind of, that kind of thing. Look hard at it. Make sure you understand why you believe what you believe. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us we should hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So my, my counsel to people that are deconstructing all the time is like, hey, you can deconstruct based on what you didn't like about a particular church or how that church is approaching a particular issue or what you experienced with some youth pastor somewhere, all that kind of stuff. I'm not, I am not saying any of that is, is not worthy of considering and questioning. But the one thing you should hold on to is Jesus. Because Jesus is authentic. Jesus is real. Jesus is powerful. People are going to get him wrong. The church is going to get him wrong from time to time. But the writer of Hebrews tells us to hold fast our confession of hope. Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins. That I cannot behave my way to heaven. I need a rescuer. He's my redeemer, my deliverer. I trust Jesus. Start there and then ask all your questions, you know. Um, deconstruction, if now that I've brought it up, you may hear or, or be more attuned to it. Um, I, think it is a, I think it is, on one hand, legitimate for people to ask questions. On the other hand, it's one way that Satan is trying to undermine the faith. And so it's really important that we hold fast the confession of our hope. Because Jesus, according to Hebrews, Jesus, the one he has who, who promised these things is faithful. He keeps his promises. See, so that's number one. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. The second thing is this. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds. So as we come together, we are to be about knowing and loving each other and stirring one another toward loving good deeds. So how can I help you and how can you help me and encourage me toward loving God and loving people out there every day? And that's what we do. We stir one another toward love and good works, both in the body and outside the body. He says here, let us not neglect meeting together. Uh, one of our elders sent me a, a chart of statistics from a, a church resources group this week and it showed how from 1970 to 2022 church attendance has just done this over time but then the last two years with covid you know it just went bonkers off the chart down 
And every church has experienced uh, a lessening, so to speak, just about every church. And there are many churches that have not continued, have not begun to grow again the other side of COVID. And the question is why? There may be many answers to that question, but but one thing that we have to think about, church, is is the important understanding that that the writers of the scripture believed it's very important for us to gather rhythmically together. And so we should not neglect meeting together. We need to implement a rhythm and discipline of gathering with the church. And while I love that we have online technology and while you're traveling and sick and all that kind of stuff you can watch. It is not the same as gathering together physically. And so we need to gather rhythmically. And I would say it needs to be the first day of the week, Sunday, just like like the the pattern we see uh, with the scriptures. Finally, it says that we should encourage one another, especially as the final day approaches. So there's this expectation of the church that it would get harder as the final day, that great day that we've talked about in the book of Revelation, that we get harder as the day approaches. And so we were going to need each other. The writer's telling us we're going to need each other to encourage each other as it gets more difficult. And so I, I think it's important, in fact, imperative for us to understand the word encourage. When you just break the word down, encourage, it's not just saying, hey, oh, good job. To encourage is to bolster courage in somebody. To embolden them to keep walking in the faith because life is hard because the culture may become more contrary to the scriptures because walking with Jesus is never exactly popular. We need each other to encourage one another. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's built biblically built by Jesus. It is global and it is local and it is the gathered community of the disciples. I might not have said anything new today that you've never heard. I hope not. But I hope that what you see in the scriptures will draw you to the gathering of the local church and will open you to the unique expression of churches all over the 4B area and globally, as long as they are aligned with the message of Jesus, the gospel is the center. Jesus is the king. The kingdom is the focus. This is the church of Jesus. You're part of it. One small part of it. And it's happening. Just think about today for 24 hours, started in the East. You were still asleep. People started getting up and gathering with the church. There were people that met under trees and houses. There were people in war-torn areas like Ukraine that went to church anyway. There were, it started in the east, and, and it just followed the sun all the way to the west where we began to gather this week. And it's a beautiful, rhythmic expression of the glory of God and his son Jesus every week. People are baptizing, taking the Lord's Supper, preaching the gospel, praying, singing songs to the king. Heaven hears the glory of the the Lord Jesus, worshipped for 24 hours straight by the gathered church from east to west. It's a beautiful thing. 
It's a beautiful thing. It's important to be a part of it, right? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, we're thankful for this church that we call Bay Area Church, the relationships that we have and the attentiveness uh, to, to you. God, we, uh, we pray, would you bless this beautiful body of Christ? Um, would you help us, Father, to be people that are committed to uh, the hope that we have in you. We're committed to encouraging one another and stirring one another on toward loving good deeds. Father, help us to be a people who know in, in our bones and our soul that you built the church, that you're building the church, that it cannot fail. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Thank you for the people that make up this church, the different families that make up this church and how you use them every day for your glory. And, uh, and thank you for the sweetness of our gatherings together. Um, God, I pray that you would continue to bless all of that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.